welcome back to the In on the Act podcast. My name is Alice and today I'm going to be talking to Phoebe, another young programmer and Storyhouse's digital content officer about the digital revolution that lockdown has brought to the theatre world recently and how it has changed theatre right now and how we can imagine it's changing theatre in the future. So um, my first question today, kind of just to start everything off is, in your experience of lockdown, how important has theatre been? It's It was a real surprise, I think, when we went into lockdown. For, obviously, it was a big shock to us all. And I think in the beginning, we all kind of thought that life would become about the serious things only. And you would just be sat locked in your house, going for your daily one walk allowed a day, and then watching the news and then going to bed and, you know... That, that would be it because it was a really serious situation, which it was, of course, um, globally. But I think it became clear really quickly that people needed art and film and TV and theatre um, to, to cope with the situation, really, to get us through because we were all stuck in our homes. And theatre wasn't just a thing that was forgotten about, just a thing sort of from the pre-COVID days and something to be forgotten about and maybe picked up again when the pandemic was over, people really sort of clung to it and really audiences or the nation were asking for ways to experience theatre in their own homes before even um, theatres and producers were, were providing those ways. I think the audience was making it clear that they wanted you know audiences during lockdown were were finding ways to connect on their own without organizations you know they were doing quizzes and they were meeting up on zoom and they were clapping and they were you know holding dance parties on their street with one person outside each house so they were finding ways to do things that arts organizations would would normally do um anyway so it became clear that the audiences really yeah wanted that to continue um and for me personally, that that was a surprise. I, I think I kind of thought that perhaps people would see theatre as something a bit frivolous and a bit not for now, not for this time. But it was sort of the opposite of that. People saw how important it was as a way to connect people and as a way to experience life. Um, and there was obviously lots of people started writing and making theatre about the situation um, as a response to it, which was another really interesting thing to see. Um, that wasn't something that I would have thought would would have happened. Um, people immediately making plays on Zoom and, you know, writing short plays about the experience of being in lockdown was a, a really nice thing to see. But yeah, I think the whole, I would say the response and the attitude towards theatre during the pandemic was a surprise to me. <laughs> and that, a good surprise. A nice yeah, one. I completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah. Phoebe, what are your thoughts on that? Similarly to like what Ellie's saying and about people needing it to cope, it was a real it's a real link to normality. Or for anyone that like whether they are involved in the industry or they casually um like partake in it in terms of like maybe every year you go see a panto or uh, it's a, or a good Christmas present, you see a musical somewhere, or like regardless of how much you in the year would usually engage with theatre, be and drama or professionally. Um, I think everyone was aware it was missing like with the I know we'll talk about them later on probably but like the National Theatre live streamings I watched them with my family and my parents enjoy drama a lot I mean they've had to see me in plenty of productions ranging in standard <laughs> throughout the years but they were quite willing to watch like a three-hour play with me 
uh, when usually it might not be their particular cup of tea or they've not seen many um, traditional plays, that sort of thing. Uh, or talking about like the content being created. Um, like I watched, and this was more recently, I watched this like live streaming thing from a theatre in um, South Carolina called Trust Us. And they did this like 24 hour challenge where um, they got a brief for a play and in the 24 hours had to, someone had to write it, then they had to rehearse it, learn it and practice it. And then they streamed a Zoom performance of it at seven. The only issue I think was audio, but the, it was a it was a play about Burning Man in America and um, a band that had fallen out of contact or something or other. Like very, very amdram, but really interesting. And that's not something I would have engaged with out of lockdown. Like if you'd said, oh, do you want to watch a live stream of a theatre show somewhere across the world at like midnight your time? I would have probably been like, no, I'll pass. So in some ways it's opening new, 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 I can't English, new, unique theatre experiences, not just traditional ones. Yes, I think that's really interesting. Um, I definitely think it's changed the way we value it. On my part, it's changed because I partake in it a lot and going to see it is a massive part of my leisure. And it's, like you say, it's something I do with my family as well. I go with my grandma all the time. It's something we do together. And both missing going to see things live as a thing, I really took that for granted. And also being able to do it I really took that for granted and having these things online like the National Theatre Streaming Shows, the RSC, putting them on iPlayer, Wise Children, putting theirs on iPlayer, it was something I really really valued during my time in lockdown. I was really excited every Thursday, I didn't, albeit I definitely did not watch all of them, but I was excited every Thursday to see what shows they were going to put on the National Theatre on YouTube and see everybody's comments, that was something I really looked forward to every week. Um, Speaking of that kind of idea of watching them online there were several different ways that it happened during lockdown like the national theater streamed it live but then kept it up for a week and then changed the show i think the shows must go on by lloyd webber he kept it up for a weekend some places just put it straight onto iplayer i was just thinking it would be interesting to kind of discuss which one of these we think as the audience was the best because it's kind of two sides of one coin it's like what's best for the audience but then also what's the most beneficial for the theater makers too because it might not always be viable to just put it out there for free forever. So I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on the different ways that the companies did that, put their stuff digitally. Yeah, it's a really interesting question because um, obviously because lockdown was so sudden, a lot of organisations were scrabbling to, to come up with a model. And the National Theatre was definitely, it worked in that it was really simple. It was every Thursday, they picked the sort of best of the best of their productions that they had already filmed and they could get that out really quickly. And the keeping up for a week seemed... Um, sort of ideal because it meant there was a limit so you had to watch it and it kept the conversation around that production to within that week because everyone had to watch it if you were going to watch it within that week um but it meant that you didn't have to um commit to watching it on that one night so it does seem like that's a model that's worked really well um an alternative would be the iplayer model where they keep shows up for a month um it sort of spreads out it means the conversation is less focused um, but it works if you can maintain the promotion and the marketing of that show. It does give audiences more time um, to watch it as we sort of come out of lockdown a bit more and people are more busier doing in real life things. Um, but then you've also got the benefits of the 
one-off, this is your actual only chance, it's right now, it's now or never, which has its own benefits because it that most closely resembles the in real life experience of going to the theatre. You know, you've got one chance, it's just one night um, and you either you're either there on time, even if there is in your own living room on your own sofa, or you're not and you miss it or you miss the beginning um, and you miss the conversation and that sort of cultural moment is gone. I think there's still a lot of conversation in the industry about which of those is the best or which is better. I think it work, It can work differently for different organisations and for different audiences. Um, for, for us during lockdown, um, although we didn't live stream any shows, um, as it were, we had um, events and online activities that happened at one particular moment and that was the only time you could catch them such as the quarantine karaoke and a few more um, of the community activities and they definitely benefited from people feeling like they had to be there at this time with other people otherwise they missed it um, I think feel like that really works and I feel like the audience would have become a bit saturated if um, if it if you'd had a whole week to to do any of those activities um and particularly the young takeover um worked really well it being over one weekend because it just meant that the marketing and the messaging around that could be really clear it was just this one weekend and yeah you could still go and watch the videos afterwards but that's when it was going out and that's when all the activity was happening and that's when you could get caught up in the conversation um I don't think that would have worked as well if we'd have sort of just piled it all online and said it's all month and you've got all month to watch it because people just put it off um yeah it's definitely we're all definitely still learning um about what works best with that it's as as audience members is there sort of a, a model that you guys prefer I particularly like with uh NT Live as an example um, like the act that it being free and you having the week was brilliant but also um, I wouldn't particularly other than I know every now and again they stream things like it in the cinema and you say like for you for example and you might pay or Storyhouse um, and you would pay to go watch it in the cinema there and then that one time apart from that I wouldn't know how to access it because I know there's a the National Theatre Collective um, sorry, the National Theatre have a collection that schools and education systems can pay for and access online with like 30 places or something. But as someone, if I wasn't with it at a school that had access to it and I was just a general um, audience member who wanted to interact and watch more online, I'd have no idea how to. But the online way, like using YouTube, made it really clear and all the marketing was very clear. So you knew when and where and the information was everywhere and they had the list of a week which you would have and you could plan effectively um it was just nice to have an access to it because I remember doing like one man two governors was on the um list for it which I studied during a levels and um our future like tried to find a way for us to watch it um but we couldn't we didn't have access to the collection the school weren't gonna um pay for us to have it so we just sort of skimmed over it and just read it instead or watch clips on YouTube so it was really interesting that suddenly this thing I'd been trying to find and couldn't for ages was just available. So do you feel like it was it was very simple, like it was basically put right in front of you and like what would you do but watch it because it was right there and it was so easy and you knew how to do it? Mm -hmm. um, Definitely. 
definitely. Um, yeah. I think it's safe to say that I tried every single different way of watching theatre during the time. Like I was, I, I really enjoyed watching the NT lives. I would always try and watch them on the Thursday instead of in the rest of the week. I watched loads of stuff on iPlayer. I watched the shows must go on with Lloyd Webber, which was on a Friday, but then up for the weekend, kind of the same thing, but it was kind of a shorter time. Um, but most recently, it, it wasn't necessarily in lockdown. It was actually kind of, it was only like a couple of weeks ago. I watched Wise Children, which is Emma Rice's company, streamed Romantics Anonymous, um, her show live from the Bristol Old Vic. Obviously, that was not possible during lockdown. But um, having that was literally the highlight of my year. It was not only did I absolutely love the show, just the way it was done, like tuning in at seven o'clock, knowing it was being performed live, not necessarily right in front of me, but somewhere was amazing, especially after this long of not being able to do it and the way that it worked was it was almost like it was touring like it was really clever so I bought my tickets through Storyhouse and different parts of the country watched it at different times so if I was in the northwest I bought my ticket through Storyhouse so all the northwest people watched it on Monday and then all the, the northeast people watched it on Tuesday and that created such a like it was essentially literally as close it, as could as it could have been to being live on stage in front of you but just there um, and I did find that really easy accessible. So that's probably, I think, the best, well, not necessarily the best way, but as an audience member was the most exciting, same way as before. And just having it in front of you, like what Phoebe said, the access to it was great. There were so many more shows, especially from the National Theatre on YouTube, that had such a strong presence on that platform that I was introduced to shows that I had never heard of before, like uh, Madness of King George by Alan Bennett. Never heard that before, but I was really intrigued to see that. And I think that's something that a lot of people in our age demographic will be exposed to which I think is really important. That's so interesting that you just said that so first of all you really enjoyed it being like an event you had to be there mm. it's like it felt like an event and secondly so when Wise Children said they wanted to do that with Romantics Anonymous so we were like yeah absolutely great um, obviously you know we, we can't have one of your shows in our building physically so we'd love to support this but we really didn't understand that model that they wanted to do of having the different areas because mm. they were like right so they sent us this like um a marketing pack with all the images and the photos and the copy and they said like you put it on your individual websites and we were like why like we we can just like tweet about it but you may as well just have it on your website and they were like no we want to replicate a tour we mm. want each individual theater we want their audiences to go through them to get to it and we were kind of like I mean, okay, like, fine, if you want. But we didn't really, if anything, we thought that model was slightly confusing. But actually, mm. now you talk through how you responded to it and how you felt like it worked for you, that you went through Storyhouse, got your tickets, saw the show, and then you saw the night that was the Northwest night. That actually completely clarifies that mm. for me. I didn't think of it that way at all. We were just a bit like, why are you spreading sort of... We, we were worried that the audience would be so confused as to the like they would maybe think that it was actually physically coming to Storyhouse mm. um so we were trying to make it really clear like no no it's it's us and wise children but it's still online but you book through us but actually the way you've engaged with it makes complete sense so I understand why they did that that's really interesting mm. I do remember at first I was like oh so am I going to oh I'm not it's at home that was that initial confusion but I do think the whole touring thing was a really good idea on their part so I really appreciated that talking about kind of like regional theatres Something that was kind of brought to my attention, and this kind of goes on to my question after this question as well, 
by a friend of mine who is looking to go into lighting design uh, as a career and he follows a lot of artistic creators on Twitter and etc and this kind of culture of streaming during lockdown and probably what we can imagine to see after there as well does it kind of disproportionately affect regional theatres because the National Theatre as an example which we've brought up a lot is a great institution but they are also a very wealthy institution and they have the resources to put their stuff online whereas a place like for example the Story House or the Liverpool Everyman can't necessarily fund that so I was just um, thinking about how that kind of affected regional theatres in comparison to big national theatres or the national theatre. Yeah it's a really interesting question because um, first and foremost the National Theatre and places like the South Bank and the Royal Ballet, um, they had the equipment anyway to be recording their shows. And they had, in fact, as we know, already recorded a lot of their shows because they've already got this system in place where they stream their shows to cinemas around the country. Um, and it's interesting. Just before I did this, I was just having a chat with my partner about this podcast. And he was like, well, when it was streaming in lockdown, wouldn't you just watch you just watch like the National Theatre, wouldn't you? And I was like, why do you say that? And he was like, well, it's the best. You just, if they're all available, you just watch the best one, wouldn't you? And I was like, well, that's subjective because, uh, but it's true. You'd watch, you're much more likely to watch top quality, internationally acclaimed, the one that had all the big newspaper reviews, the one that has the big name actors in it, if you've got a choice. Um, but that's the same for them anyway they they've always got the best equipment the best names the best you know they get in the big national reviews and it it made them a lot more accessible for people who can't afford to travel to London or go to these big shows so it it did equalize that in a way but you're right it did mean that regional theatres had to sort of fight for attention and we were just we're at we were at a um what's the word we were at a lower um, a disadvantage so we were at a disadvantage compared to um, those theatres definitely just in terms of us not being used to do that but the people that did want to watch us over that kind over those sort of national productions were people who are really engaged with Storyhouse and they not only want to watch great theatre but they want to support us at the same time those are the people who were saying, yeah, we know this National Theatre, Southbank, etc. is on and we'll watch that too. But like, when are you going to stream something? When is Storyhouse going to do something? Because they are really engaged and invested in us. And that's really valuable to know that we have that local core audience that want online streaming and content and shows from us. Because you have to remember with these big huge theatres in these big huge cities they the majority of their audiences are tourists and people that come to visit it's they're not they have some engaged local regular visitors but we have a lot of engaged regular local visitors and they are really valuable to us and another thing that I think is interesting is I would wonder what the National Theatre would think of someone like Phoebe saying she really wanted to watch one of their shows but couldn't find it anywhere pre-COVID because what's the point in having these shows that were on years ago that no one is still going to pay for a ticket for so you're not losing any money that are filmed to a internationally high quality just sort of in this vault never being watched unless you're a school that happens to be able to pay to access it it's it seems now post 
you know, lockdown, it seems stupid to just keep all those locked away where audiences can't enjoy them and experience them and learn from them. Um, you sort of wonder if they should be doing some kind of Disney situation where they release a couple of them for a year and then pull them back again and then release them. But certainly keeping them locked away seems completely counterproductive now. Um, so, yeah, so I'd say that they are definitely an advantage, but they seem to not be sure what to do with all of that amazing content at times. You know, once they've put it out during lockdown, what, ha what happens to it now? And I was locked away again. Um, whereas we can be a bit more um, dynamic with our content. I think we would be a bit more open to, if we recorded a show, to just it being out forever for anyone to engage with it. Um, and yeah, we the our core loyal audience that really want content from us even though they can watch international amazing stuff is really um, encouraging for us to hear. There's a way as well for, so obviously Storyhouse does professional productions, but I remember looking into over lockdown, there was something called, and I think it was um, Scene Saver, not Screen Saver, I was debating, but I think Scene Saver, and they sort of, they looked at um, giving shows that were from like Off West End or World Fringe or, other not like I don't think Edinburgh Fringe was on the list, but other fringe venues from around the world. So they obviously through lockdown and COVID, fringe festivals and other small like arts and um, festivals can't happen. So people have looked into other ways of promoting work. So I think what Scene Saver worked in that you could watch a production and a bit like free fringe, you could choose to donate money. It wasn't like you could watch it for free, I think, but or you could choose to give a little bit of money to support the artists that were putting out this work that they couldn't do as they might have been as a tour. So whether that's a model um, Storyhouse could like look into a franchise in terms of obviously having productions and stuff that like you're saying with the uh, NT ones, if they've been from ages back and you're not actually getting revenue from them anymore, whether they're free or there is some sort of donation system, it just felt a lot fairer um, it because otherwise you sort of breach the boundary of if you're going to watch a live pro stream production of something is it like if you rent it or buy it is that a bit like renting or buying a film and then the two industries are sort of clashing and colliding a little which is fine like I think uh, with musicals and stuff I've got on DVDs like Miss Saigon the recording and that is lovely to watch like if, I, if you can't see it in person um, but that's a physical copy I can hold it's not um, something I'm paying for on a screen. It, the, the boundaries for where theatre and cinema and renting and purchasing are all really mixed and a little bit odd, I think, with the streaming services. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it's hard to um, separate why they should be different. I, think. I completely agree. I completely agree. I think that's such a great point. It's that, like, exactly what you've said, the idea that... Um, we sit because we sit back and we watch it at home or we buy a recording of it and we watch it there. Um, it treats theatre as if it's cinema. And then that kind of, you could argue that that kind of devalues what makes theatre theatre and devalues the work of the theatre makers themselves. And there, that was, yeah, that was something that I picked that one. That was really excited for someone to say, because I thought that idea is so interesting about how the blurring lines between the two. It is really interesting and you're completely right about blurring the lines because if you keep going further and further to saying 
it can just well you know it, it could just be online we could just um, put a play together but then we'll just film it and we don't need an audience and it'll be online but then that's just a film really isn't it it's not yeah you know it's very different from a filmed performance that was a live performance that had an audience um and film you're right cinema has its own model and yeah cinema's had to respond really quickly to the big shake-up that sort of streaming services have given it but they they have a system you um make a film produce a film and it goes to cinemas first or sometimes now cinemas and streaming and then it sits there and it's not available for you to own you have to either stream it or watch it in the cinema and then a little while later it becomes available for you to own you can either download it buy it from amazon prime or as you say buy it physically and that's their model and that's how it works for them um but you know you're right theater isn't film and the the point of theater is that it's a live experience and that it's happening right in front of you someone is right there behind you doing the lights and doing the sound and someone is right there performing for you on the stage and that's the soul of theater that's what it is it's a real life experience and lockdown forced us to move everything online so it was okay that that it was an experience that you were getting in real life but are now getting online but is that something that we really should be you know it's on the one hand it could be the great equalizer because people who couldn't afford to experience it can now afford to it people who can't leave the house because they're shielding or for other reasons can experience it um and that's amazing but on the other hand is it if we push towards that being the majority does that become not theater and does it does it become film really just a different type of a film it's a really interesting question is, is a filmed play a film or is it still theater it's so like is it only theater if it's live if you're watching it through the tv or through your computer but it's being performed live somewhere or if it's if it's already been filmed like at what point does it become not theater anymore it's interesting that you mentioned that because i watched um as i said many different types and one of the ones i typed one of the things that i watched was i watched fleabag and i cannot for the life of me remember who through I think it was Soho Theatre um and they had a system where you it was to be fair this was donated to the NHS so it's not necessarily comparable but their kind of system was that you could pay anywhere between five and 40 pounds I think um because it was going to be it was either it would think a portion of it was donated to the NHS and this was like right at the start of lockdown so you could choose yourself the value of that art obviously you have charitable incentive as well but you then choose how much you're willing to spend on this experience and I'm not even too sure if there was much difference in the quality of the five pound viewing or the 40 pound viewing um so I thought that was interesting the idea of assigning value to it I thought that was interesting it sort of links a bit to what scene saver were doing with their fringe stuff in terms of like the um, NHS feedback um, screening you got to assign a value I think it would be interesting if there was some sort of way of doing a um, maybe anonymous so people don't feel the need to like if you were to do some sort of survey to see if you wanted to see what a general audience member even if it was like just for storehouses members how much would you pay for an online viewing uh, and like detail what they would get between say five and forty but maybe make it anonymous because I feel like if you didn't make it anonymous, then people would feel a weird pressure to say that they pay more than they actually, than they potentially would want to. But getting some sort of data or figure uh, that explained that explains that would be really interesting. Because I feel like for myself, I feel like the maximum I potentially want to pay is maybe fifteen, because I feel like that, like like you say, you're not getting a uh, the proper experience. And like I've 
paying for, if you bought, bought like a TV show or a film or something, £15 would still usually be my maximum on that for like one one particular show. Um, but then I'm more used to just having, I will just access whatever's on, say, because like, I pay for Amazon Prime and Netflix and things like that. I will watch what I can access through them. And if I really can't find a particular thing I want to watch, either wait for it to come on or assess how much it might be to watch it on another service. But um, the idea of watching theatre and ticketed things, oh, yeah, again, I think 15 would maybe be the maximum, but I can't tell you why in my head I'm like that when if I was to see something physically, I'd be like, £40, £40 I can do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. It's especially with streaming culture, it's it's invisible money, like like what Ellie was saying before, like it's invisible. We never see it. It goes out of the bank account every month and we don't even think about it, which is a bit worrying in general if we think about how many things we're subscribed to. But um, yeah, we just feel like we can watch it all for free, even though it's not, even though it's not free. And when theatre companies ask you, hey, if you want to watch this, can you pay £10 for it or whatever? And then the audience goes, no. I have to pay £10 to watch this thing and then you just forget that you're I can watch Netflix for free forgetting that you're not <laughs> um, I just think that's an interesting thing about it yeah completely it's all about value the people you're right people don't value things like streaming services because the the financial model that they put forward is so slick and clever they you're right they trick you into completely forgetting that you're paying for it at all the same with way that youtube shows you a little 30 second ad and that's how they pay for themselves and and there is value and money happening there um it's just not as obvious to the audience as actually putting in your credit card details and your account being minus a certain amount so it's just not as right there in front of you um so yeah maybe the answer is is more more something along those lines um give it a sort of hidden value in a way um but then that seems not ideal to trick people into paying for something and letting them think it's free that seems almost the same as devaluing it anyway doesn't it yeah completely completely agree um I wasn't sure if I was going to mention this but I think it's important that we do um we've had a lot of discussion today about the value of art and the value of theatre makers and the work that goes into it on all levels and kind of in this current political climate there's a lot of conversation about the value we place on art and on artists as a culture the idea that we expect it for free but not necessarily but we're also not necessarily willing to give credit where it's due either and we consume art all the time and um, we don't necessarily think to give it the value that it deserves um, I was just thinking of how that would possibly relate back to Storyhouse and on a theatre level or on a cinema level or just kind of as a building, how that would possibly affect that. Because what you're saying about how um, there's a very strong following at Storyhouse, I think that's something that's very unique to the building and it's something I love about it so much. But in this current conversation that we're having among artists, I was just wondering how that would possibly relate back to Storyhouse and the things that happen there. What you were saying, though, does have a link to what we've been talking about with streaming culture in terms of just rounding it up. Like what I drew from what you were saying is like the culture of expecting things for free. There's a very easy with online culture. We, we talked about this um, in uh, a lecture I had last week, but how people 
feel if they have access to the internet and online things that using the example of being an actor that without training or this could be for any job role but I'm using an actor as an example that a lot of people will proclaim to be actors or actresses and they've had no training they've had no uh, I'm not saying you need you need professional training but there's not necessarily time and commitment and love gone into practicing the art form and it's seen as something that can be obtained quite easily when it's not and I feel like that ideology transfers to a lot of what we've been talking about if people don't have an appreciation for the work and the time and the effort that goes into the time spent training for certain things or the money spent on qualifications like say degrees there's no reason that a arts degree um, that costs the same as for example a maths degree should be any less devalued um, or taken for granted because the work and effort and the knowledge has gone into it um, in the same way that all the time and effort that goes into making a production behind stage and on stage shouldn't be devalued just because at one um, institution, at one one building, one company, you can get something for a certain price. That does not mean that should be the same for somewhere 20 minutes down the road. You don't know their process. You don't know how much time they've spent on things. It's We need to get rid of the ideology that one thing fits everything. That's com- yeah, that's completely mm. such a such a good point, and I think um, it's because everything that you've just said is because it's so easy for the work that artists and people in the arts are do to to be invisible. So if you go to the dentist and get a checkup, it's twenty quid or thirty quid. If you hire a lawyer, they say these are my hourly rates, and that value is put there right in front of you. Whereas um, I think we've probably all seen the the recent government advert of the ballerina. Mm. And then the response that people have made where they've put little arrows and explained how um, actually a lot of art and creatives and the time and work of trained creative professionals has gone into making even this advert that devalues art. You know, you've needed a photographer and a stylist and a hairstylist and someone to make the costumes and the ballerina herself and someone to do the design work. Um, But that's often not seen or it's seen but not, not fully sort of, that the value of it isn't fully not understood but possibly appreciated um because we see it so often all the time um that you know you don't see a poster and at the bottom it lists the how much it costs to make and how long the designer trained for and how much of their time it took and you know what went into it because it's just there in front of you in the way that a lot of other industries and services it's very different that their value is the first thing that's put in front of you um you know, you, you you go out for a meal and the, the prices are right there on a menu. Whereas when you see art, that the effort and the work that's gone in isn't always immediately communicated to you, um, which I think is the, the reason behind everything that you just said there. Mm, completely agree. I think at, we are at a stage now in cultural development where art in all its forms, and I think especially theatre, I think theatre has come on leaps and bounds in comparison to what it used to be. Theatre used to be such an elitist thing, and many people still view it as the same, but the way on which it has come on, art is so accessible to everybody now. It is, everybody could, in some way, shape or form, and some amount, have access to this art. It's amazing that this is accessible. It's amazing that it's no longer just people who can speak Latin that can go and watch plays, because that's how it used to be. The fact that it is so widespread and so easily accessible could 
devalue it in quite a lot of people's eyes and make it because it's just such an everyday part that if it were we just completely take it for granted and I think that that is something that needs to be taken into account as we move forward post-covid if that will ever exist or when we think about theatre makers and their importance in society from now on so kind of just to finish finish our conversation sum it up I was just wondering about what the kind of streaming culture um, and the digital revolution of theatre and accessibility ideas how that relates back to Storyhouse and what the future of Storyhouse looks like in regards to digital content and specifically with the theatre but also kind of just more general with the building as a whole how that what the future looks like for Storyhouse. That's a very good question that I'm not sure we any of us have an answer for yet. Um, I think because the situation is changing so much, I think if you'd have asked us in August, it would have been a very different answer than the one we might give now because I think we thought that it was lockdown was ending and things were opening more and we did the out open air theatre, um, which seems mad now. And we, you know, we were doing lots of real life experiences again and the online sort of fell into the, the background a little bit. Um, I'm not sure what that would look like, but it certainly seems like that's something that we're going to have to start considering as we move forward, you know, into whatever normal is going to look like in 2021. A positive, at least, is we know this podcast will definitely go out. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) We've got at least one artistic (laughs) form that we can definitely produce without fail. And then just hope that the building um, or the Story House team can go ahead with something. But obviously that depends on government guidance and rules for the foreseeable future. I said to Hayley, I'm so pleased to do the podcast because it's not going to be affected by anything that anyone decides at any point. We won't have to make any changes. We won't have to pull it or change it or cancel it or anything. (laughs) no that is brilliant I story house paving the way again um I'm so proud to live in a city with this building I love it so much and I'm sure that I am in the majority in that situation um thank you so much Ellie and Phoebe for joining me today it was really interesting to hear everything you had to say um I've had a really nice time talking to you guys about this and yeah thank you so much for tuning in to in on the act if you've made it this far um we hope to see you soon um goodbye everybody (laughs) 